The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode four of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is Dylan Wissing. Dylan is a Hoboken, New Jersey-based session drummer. He's one of the first people I met that was doing the remote um, drum recording for artists. His credits go back to Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire. He's also done work for Drake and John Legend. His world is a little bit different than just recording drums for your rock band or you know performances from start to finish. He's more in tune to you know recreating classic breakbeats to be used in modern production. Slightly different approach. So it's a great conversation. Go to DylanWissing.com. He has some drum loops and samples there you can check out. You also can hire him for your tracks. And he has some really great tutorials. So again, go to DylanWissing.com. And uh, yeah, let's get this conversation. This is a fun one. Dylan Wissing. Mike, how's it going? <laughs> man tell me what your last session was you've got such an interesting career as a session drummer what are you working on lately um right now um i'm in the middle of a few different things um i, I try to since i i change gear a lot as you know as we've discussed um you know, when when certain songs will fit a certain vibe, I'll try to batch them together on the same kit. So on this kit, it's um, an artist from Lebanon, an artist in the States, and then uh, drum loops for for an, um, for another company. And um, so, it, it, you know, kind of um, sort of rock vibey ballad drums, uh, maybe a little Coldplay influence uh got kind of the experiment with the uh the woofer kick i don't know if you can see it there oh yeah like inch in front mic which i don't know sometimes works sometimes it doesn't well you know is that end up getting used in the mix or is it just like fun for a minute to listen to um if it does it usually gets you know a tiny bit mm-hmm. a tiny bit um but it kind of came up because you know the songs are slow the tempos are like 72 and and the drum parts need to be really sparse and a single short kick drum at 72 bpm just you know you know and there's all the space where i don't want to fill it with a bunch of hi-hat notes or you know whatever so just trying to do anything i can to to get some sustain from that drum without without it being reverb or you know um just to try to kind of shape the sonics a little bit to to give it more like boom boom. so you know i'm gonna send it i'm gonna send my raw tracks we'll see what the producer and the mix engineer do um but i'm almost always kind of the first guy on the you know i'm creating the foundation and lots of other stuff goes on top of it and somebody else is mixing somebody else is making the final production choices so uh, I just try to get the the best raw tracks and sort of provide whatever the, you know, whatever the elements I think they're going to need for that, for that session are. Uh, and then it's up to them, you know, or, you know, or they're going to replace all the drums with samples or augment it with samples or, right. you know, whatever, which is, that's all fine too. But, what uh, is that kit? And then how do you set it up to be rock? Like, what is your rock drum setup like tuning wise and all that? Uh, this is, um, I just got one of Ludwig's, uh, the, the, the classic maple set mm-hmm. series. Um, you know, I, I, the last name when there was a name back in the day, they had, I think Fred Armisen did a, a clinic on that kit and, uh, that finish I'm, I'm kind of colorblind. So, um, I don't see red very well. And I, I recognize I'm surrounded by red, but, um, so something about that blue finish like oh i gotta oh, i gotta have them so mm. I got one of those kits you know the, the classic maple set but with the uh, with the rounded bearing edges which i really dig on on these drums because um they don't have a ton of sustain and i almost always am muffling toms i don't want them to go boom you know because they're always ringing and they're always you know that ring is always getting captured in every other mic and whatever else so these just have this great you know this great punch um i'm just i'm i've been an aquarium guy since the early 90s so it's just you know regular texture coated classic clear underneath um 
I like the force one batters that, you know, single ply with the, the ring, not the heavily muffled ones. And, uh, and then this little, uh, it's a GMS 20, 28 inch. Um, it's like a 10 by 28 super vintage model. I think it's the only 28 inch drum they ever made. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like that old school marching bass drum sound. So, mm. um, and that thing is just, you know, set up to vibrate low. Uh, so yeah. So for tuning rock, I mean, they're, pretty you know not too high no not too low um less muffling than i use i probably more use more muffling than i should in general but so much of my world is that kind of um the 70s break beats mm-hmm. and 70s sounding stuff which you know is is really the sound of my childhood so it's a sound i know and love and perfectly happy with the concert tom you know muffled so it just goes th- that what is the what's the snare up there looks like you got a uh, rag on it you muffle it with a rag oh yeah um actually so that's a that's one of my desert island drums that's a it's a gms super vintage um five and a half by 14 and uh with the the black gold duco finish it's just that drum it, it's my number one wood drum just that thing it just always works. It always sounds good, no matter high or low. Um, I have a diecast tube on top, and um, it's just—it just always sounds great. The actually, that one is used right now for uh, one of the tracks called for like a, um, you know, a snare snares off muffled kind of thing. And at first, I was playing snare drum on the left side, and then and then uh, the the main snare is one of the uh, it's the Ludwig uh, their new supers six and a half by fourteen brass. Um, uh, which I really dig as well. And, um, so I was, I was doing the part with, you know, kind of like the muffled part or, or the, the, um, Tom and snares off on the left side and the main snare. But then I realized that there was no control if I play it that way. I mean, even if you turn that mic off, it's still bleeding in all, every other mic. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure they're going to buy the, the, the little Tom, uh, the muffled tom thing that I'm I'm adding, so I just overdubbed it instead. Um, which I end up doing that a lot, where I'll try to figure out the part that I think is cool, but then just sort of split it apart as overdubs, so that just in case the client doesn't think it's cool, you know, they're not. I don't have to go back and try to reset everything up exactly as it was, and um, you know, and play the part, but without the cowbell and the, you know, the crasher or whatever Hmm. Uh, it it really makes life a lot easier for me and clients i think i mean you know it's and then if i have to go play it live which i really do i'm really really the live drummer on any of these productions um but you know every once in a while i have to think oh yeah i guess i should figure out how to you know add in the cowbell and the and the the left hand floor time or whatever so so how interesting how often, so your first pass, do you do like a basic rhythm track and then you oh, add yeah. to it? And then how much of that is directed by the, the client or up to you to decide? Usually it's up to me. Usually it's totally up to me. Um, you know, sort the sort of the, I found that the higher up level of producer I work with, the more tightly they know exactly what they want. Um, you know, uh, Dave Tozer with John Legend. I mean, he's, I've done a few things with him and he knows exactly what it, you know, I want, this is the vibe. This is the part, this is the everything. And, you know, okay, right. Pull that sound together. Um, you know, sample recreations with Ken Lewis are, it has to sound exactly like this record and can't, there can't be any deviation. Um, but then for most of the stuff I do for independent clients, they just, you know, it's up to me. They'll say, Oh, you know, I'm kind of like this. or I kind of like that. Um, you know, I want the drums in here, out there, whatever. But, but at that point I'm, I'm really up left to kind of come up with what it is. And, and so it's a lot too of, um, I end up playing a lot of really simple parts on the kit, just, you know, knowing that there's going to be a shaker, you know, filling in all the 16ths and maybe, you know, a little, you know, some little white noise sound on the ends or the E's and a little cowbell at the end, whatever. Um, it's it, honestly for, especially for pop productions too. 
I mean, I'm almost, almost always overed up in the crash symbols or, mm. or the ride just because, you know, a lot of people just don't hear them that, you know, they just, it's not a big sound and, uh, uh, you know, or, or they, they want to have real control over that. And, and I think a lot of it too, is so many younger producers today have only worked with samples. You know, they're, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they're hiring me, it might be their first time actually, you know, they've got a budget and now they're going to do a, a track and it's the first time. And like, I want to hire a live drummer. It's going to be awesome. And you know, my raw drum tracks don't hit the same way as a completely quantized mixed to the nth degree compressed like mad, you know, transient desire, you know, these samples, which are just huge and perfect. And, you know, at a touch of a button, they all, you know, different kick, different, you know, you know I don't want to crash, I, whatever. So um, learning to sort of think proactively about that stuff. Uh, and I try to, I do try to gauge, you know, ahead of time, what the client, what their expectation is, what their, if they've worked with live drones before, uh, on this, you know, in a, in a recorded sense. Um, and if they haven't, or it's their first time, it's like, Oh boy, this is going to be a almost always, if they've never worked live drums before, I just quantize it before I send it. Cause you know, that's just what they're used to. And, and sometimes they're like, Oh, it feels different. It's not one of you. Okay. Quantize. <laughs> Do you there also is. like pre mix head more heavily to make sure everything is smacking? <sighs> I try to, but I'm a, I'm a really lame mixer. I mean, I, I know how it, I know what you do and, and, you know, I know what a side chain is and, and I'll, I'll get pretty good sounding stuff, but I, I really don't delve into it that much. It's just, I, I have too many friends that have done it for decades and devoted their lives to mixing and really, 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 really know what they're doing. And I just try to, get it to you know basically levels panning um roll off the low end where i need to maybe a little bit of um uh, a little bit of um gating here and there just to kind of present a clean version of it uh the there is one plugin that i always print to uh to my tracks which i'll i can't recommend enough which is auto align by um by uh i think it's sound radix and i mean it's not a cheap plugin I don't print my, 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 uh, my effects for the very most part, but that one is great just in terms of pulling all these mics into phase with each other. Mm. Um, and it, you know, even I'll set the phase and make sure yeah, everything's in phase and, and, and I do measure my measure my overheads and, and all that stuff. But it's just amazing what these little tiny micro shifts does to the overall sound. I mean, I'll, I'll hear it without the, without the plug in. I'm like, yeah, it sounds pretty good. Then I hear it with, and it's just, there's so much more air and space around the drums and, you know, the low end's clearer and everything. So that's something that I just, I just print into my, um, into my tracks. So they're, they're getting the raw tracks, but I know for a fact that all the kick drum mics are aligned to each other. You know, everything else is aligned to the overheads. Um, and uh, got a couple little tricks that I'll put in a video one of these days, uh, which actually I learned from the founder of the company. So <laughs> they're not my tricks, but some some little things to do with with that program that that really make a difference. But uh, I, I can't recommend that one enough. Is there any other engineering stuff you've had to like modify in order to get that real kind of clean control sample? You know. Uh, <laughs> like are you sure. using a lot of room mics are you not using nah, any i mean mics? not for not well i it depends so i mean which sound would you would you be saying i guess let's let's yeah. talk reference tracks okay um well what you're doing what you got set up there are you still the, thinking air around the drums or are you still trying yeah, to deliver yeah definitely for, for this kind of thing um the, the the next session coming up is more um kind of modern kind of the modern take on disco you know dual lupa kind of things and that's much more put up gobo so but we'll start there for the dead thing i mean that's usually going to be no head on the kick drum um or if there is it's heavily muffled so that um you know for that really just tight direct sound the toms may or may not be muffled or, or may or may not be single head kind of depending on on the particular track um i haven't set that one up yet you know snare drums definitely going to be tight lots of muffling there um i like the snare weights a lot 
um, or, you know, a shop rag or, um, um, you know, cut up t-shirts or whatever. I I mean, have some pretty ratty t-shirts that, uh, don't look very good on camera, but they get the job done. The mics don't care. So, um, and then, you know, I have, um, well, you know, made some gobos. Those will go up around. Um, if I really want to make it dead, I'll, I'll hang, um, those packing blankets all around the kit to really just kind of build a drum booth around it. Um, and in those kinds of situations, rarely am I using the room mics. Uh, but the, the kind of the great thing about having 24-7 lockout of, of my own space is I have way too many mics set up all the time. Um, you know, I have two sets of overheads at any one time, you know, three kick mics, two snare mics, everything else, spot mic, ride some old mic, trash mic, front of kit mic, uh, room mics there, have mics out in the hall. And um, so they're, they're kind of always set up. I'm always tracking all of them and just sort of then picking and choosing based on the, on the session. And, and that's another thing where I'll try to get a, uh, a vibe from the client. Some people just want to just give me four tracks, you know, the, the mm. you know, the overhead kick snare and maybe one other, and they just don't want to mess with all that other stuff. And then other people are like, give me, I want every single mic you have. Plus I want a more option. Like, okay. Um, so, I mean, I think the most I've ever given anyone for, uh, and these are for, for a uh, sample or kind of uh, drum break loops and stuff would be, I think I can do so 16, 20, I can do 23 tracks of drums right now. That's a lot and of mics. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of mics. It's, you know, and it's way overkill, but I, I do work for one company. Um, a lot of my, I have a lot of drum loops out there that um, are anonymous. So I, uh, <laughs> lots of companies just don't want to say where their loops come from. So um a lot of mine are out there then mm. you know it's it is funny to yeah I, i'll see the ad come from the company like oh, yeah, that's that's me but no credit <laughs> the check cleared or whatever so but you know in some of those situations you know one guy in particular is making every loop he makes five completely different mixes with with one measure of drums and then kind of from those five he'll choose kind of pick and choose which one fits in which sample pack um so for him to have, you know, the more mics, the merrier, uh, as long as they're actually capturing something different, you know, if it's just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of clean condensers, you know, basically around the kit, all doing the same thing that doesn't do a whole lot, but more kind of the vibey stuff, um, you know, the, the trash mics or the old telephone or the, I have a talk back old RCA talkback mic from the forties, which has a, which sounds really cool. Um, or, you know, a mic in a tin can or, you know, kind of anything to, uh, these shelves that sometimes ring in the right way. And if I mic those in the right spot, it kind of adds a, an extra level of just kind of weird. Murky How do you decide soup. which weird ones to go with in any given session? You just follow your ear. I mean, you know, some of them, I, I've had lots of, uh, unworkable weird sounds mm. you know, and, and sometimes I'll know it immediately. And sometimes I'll know it from the feedback I get. Oh, <laughs> how was that? I was on. Okay. <laughs> Scratch that one. <laughs> I mean, for example, the, um, uh, you, you've been to my space. It's an old, old leather factory in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. And, um, I can put mics out in the hall and I mean, it, it sounds huge out there. I mean, it's, it's my version of the uh, Headley Grange, um, you know, Bonham castle. And it, I mean, it sounds great, but it's so noisy. There's just, there's all this ambient noise from the train yard across the way. And then police cars go by, and, you know, depending on the time of day, if there are other people in my suite making noise or playing music or whatever, you know, those mics are suddenly useless. And, um, which can really suck if it's, I start the session in the morning when no one's out there and it's quiet like, Oh yeah, this is great. And I get the feedback in the afternoon. So yeah, this is awesome, but change this. And suddenly, you know, half of my sounds come from those bikes and, uh, uh, I'll come back to this in the morning, but, um, interesting. So it's, uh, you know, I guess every, every space has its challenges and 
<laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, I used to get a lot of dog barks in mine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. If I don't use those hall mics, I'm, I'm completely self-contained in here. And outside noises, I can hear them, you know, with my naked ear, but the mics never pick them up. Um, but my my uh, Bonham sounds are, which I love, and I want to use every time because mm. who doesn't want to sound like Bonham? But um, but again, how often are they getting used these days? Those big ambient. I mean, you, there's so many plugins that sound good. Yeah, yeah, I know it's weird. I yeah, I I, I don't know. I and that's usually I don't know. You know, occasionally I'll I'll, I'll hear the final version of, of the song, and you know, it sounds great, and it sounds like whatever, however they mixed it. Uh, most of the time, you know, the tracks just disappear into the, to the uh, into the ether and. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they use or if they use any of it. Uh, so I like you're not like precious about this stuff because that's just the way it is these days. Yeah. You can't control it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I learned that the hard way when I first moved out here almost 20 years ago, I was doing sessions for Ken Lewis, uh, who's a, a producer who's done a zillion things. And, you know, I would have my precious snare drums and tune whatever and so here's the sound we go you know we need exactly this so okay great well i've researched and it's going to be exactly the snare drum and these head and blah 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 and i'd hit it up and like no next no shit no you know okay the next snare drum no no um no that's not it and and it wasn't like okay well i need if i can give give me two hours and i'm gonna tweak and i'm you know like no we we need these now (laughs) you know Mm. i need this yesterday so um that, that's kind of one of the reasons I end up with way too many drums of just like, shit. How many, I need as many versions of a late sixties Ludwig superphonic sound as I can possibly get because they all sound different and, you know, but it's a really recognizable sound and lots of people want. And, but like, you know, I'll hit my actual late sixties superphonic and no, that's not it. <laughs> okay. You know, some other <laughs> aluminum drum and <laughs> So yeah, then then you'll know, end up with too much crap. But yeah, that's, that's, that's why we have podcasts like this. <laughs> so thank you for uh, enabling me. Let's talk about the process of recreating a classic breakbeat, which is, seems to be so difficult and mysterious. Yes. I don't think a lot of people know that sometimes what you hear on a record is a recreation and not the original sample yeah. of the beat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um, I started doing that again with Ken. Um, the first time I did it was, I thought I was going to be on Jay-Z's Black Album. And uh, we started doing it and found out an hour into my work that they already got somebody to do with samples. Mm. And I was bummed because the samples didn't sound as good as what I was pretty sure we were going to get. But whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so sample recreation is a, it's a process. There's a whole legal backstory to it, which I don't get involved with because I'm not a lawyer. And um you know, I'm just a session drummer, but uh, where a record, they sampled an old record for whatever reason, they can't use the actual sample. So we have to recreate it, a brand new recording, but it has to sound and feel exactly like the original. Um, and and sometimes they can be really complicated parts. Sometimes they can be really simple. Um, my, my, my biggest one was Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys, Did, done some for, uh, for Drake. Jay-Z, Kanye, Eminem, some other people, uh, you know, and it's usually some obscure kind of crusty gospel record or old breakbeat or something. Um, I did something for TI, which was like this, was a, um, I think it was an early eighties record, maybe from Taiwan or something where the guy had the drummer had clearly gotten some sort of octoplus set. And was just doing massive concert tom fills all over the place. And uh, so we had to recreate, you know, a whole bunch of different concert toms, um, and, which is why I have, <laughs> I have simplified it. But there were, there was a stretch where I had like, I think at one point I had three sets of concert tom, you know, totally different sets of concert toms and trying to get every size available because, those sessions would come in and like, no, that's no, that's the wrong sound. That doesn't sound like, you know, like, okay, well, I had a singer on the concert. Now that's not okay. Uh, you know, a GMS concert time. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it can be brutal. So, so it's, 
it's this process. So you have to just recreate every aspect of the sound. Um, I mean, every aspect, not just the drum and how it was tuned, muffled, you know, how tight the snares were, um, how hard and where the drummer's hitting the drum, you know, like hit it where on the hi-hat hitting, what the open sound is, the kick, what the room itself sounded like, what all the tape hiss is, uh, you know, that's on the thing. Um, there could be some, some ambient bleed from other instruments that's in the mics. Um, and you have to recreate every one of those elements. So it's, it's kind of like dissecting, it's like dissecting a track to its like at the subatomic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it can be a really intensely non-musical experience in the sense of, I mean, I'll learn the part at first, like, okay, great. You know, here I am, I'm trying to be, you know, Clyde Civilfield or whatever. And, and, you know, and that's, and I think I'm going to get to do that, but it's like, okay, no, we just need the snare drum. You know, the, the two and four sounds like this. And so we have to match exactly the two and four and get it, you know, the pitch perfect, the rim shots hitting just the right way. You know, you got to figure out, you know, was it hitting, you know, was the stick in the middle of the drum or was in the edge of the drum, you know, what kind of rim shot was it? Um, and then, okay, well then there are all these ghost notes and then, you know, so that same snare tune for the two and four doesn't speak the same way for the ghost notes that did in the original. So, you know, you find another drum that where that one does speak for the ghost notes better. So, you know, you tune that drum to get exactly the ghost notes. And then, you know, so then I'm kind of like air drumming the parts and then, you know, but kind of <laughs> air drumming crazy. the right hand and, and playing the ghost notes, but not hitting the two and four, um, you know, and not hitting the kick and, um, you know, and then it, it all gets assembled and post. And then, you know, we'll add, I, we did a, um, we're actually, it, it'll come out i think early next year it, it's the biggest project i've ever done with a with a, a big company that i can't reveal yet but we've been intensely involved in recreating a whole bunch of uh, classic samples and one in particular i mean i think we added five or six different kinds of noise to it just you know my drums plus tape hiss from here tape hiss from there you know the noise from my hallway, you know, just a sample of just the, the open mics with no drums and just to get that kind of noise. Um, <laughs> it, it can be crazy. And then, you know, but it's, I mean, digitals it, by itself is just so clean and, and, you know, everything's pristine. You can hear everything. There's no, there's no noise. There's no, you hear just exactly what it went into it. And I mean, those little break beats, I mean, man, that stuff is noisy. Some of those old slice tone records, there's a, I mean, one of the, I, I've never had to recreate it, but I, I sort of, dr- not dread, but um, at one point, somebody was asking me about uh, recreating its, um, uh, uh, sing a simple song. Um, mm-hmm. There's a famous breakbeat from it. And the breakbeat is actually, there's kind of the breakdown two thirds of the way through the song. And the, the, the breakbeat is actually just the left channel or the right channel. It's one of the two channels. So you, you isolate that channel and then you separate that and then you get just the drums, but there's all this crosstalk from the other channel where there are a couple other instruments playing. So you get the, the breakbeat full on, but then there's all this other just kind of ambient swirling stuff from the horns or the keyboards or something. And we're like, Oh man, that's, that would be so much work to recreate because, you know, first you got to play like size drummer. Uh, I forget who's on that particular track, but you know, he's a badass, whoever it was. And then, you know, and then how are we going to get, you know, that, but with, but you're not actually getting, you know, it's not even the sound of that instrument. It's the, the reverb from that instrument that's panned to the other side or the, or, you know, like cross bleed from the, the tape itself or who knows what. Um, so, it can be excruciating. Um, it really can be just utterly maddening. I, I kind of love it actually. Um, I just, you know, it's just so fun to dive so deep into these just absolute minutia of, of sonics of, of drum sound and, and then try to figure out how you're going to get that, you know, me mm-hmm. today in Hoboken, New Jersey. 
Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Do you keep those drums like dialed in once you find it? Like, do not touch that snare. That is the Clyde Stubblefield <laughs> snare. <laughs> Don't ever do anything to it. <laughs> I used to. And, you know, they just, I don't know, the tuning just moves. I don't know if, it's, you know, the atmosphere changes and I don't touch it for two years. I pull it out and it still needs work. You know, mm-hmm. I, so, I mean, yes, there are a couple that are basically always tuned to uh, Funky Drummer. <laughs> you know, I mean, my, my late 60s Superphonic and I have a GMS aluminum as well that, you know, I just, those two get me pretty close, but but on the other hand, I've never found the drum. I, I'm still searching for the actual sound of Clyde Superphonic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm, um, I, I've been obsessed with the funky drummer breakbeat for decades. I, you know, I've done a bunch of, a bunch of videos on it and, um, and tried to recreate that sound. And there's, there's some, there's like a honk to the way his snare hits on the funky drummer breakbeat that I've to this day can't figure out. I just, there's an element that I've tried to find with like paint cans, you know, like this is adding samples on it or paint cans or a sine wave or snares off or whatever, but I just can't find it. So I don't know, maybe it's just my particular drum doesn't have it in there, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe it's the heads I'm using, or maybe it's, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, going to be a lifelong challenge and it's one of those goofy like why why is that your your life's life struggle to recreate the funky drummer breakbeat but it's it's an amazing breakbeat and it gives me you know keeps me off the keeps me off the streets i guess <laughs> so how much time goes into recreating a four bar break a oh, four bar <laughs> two bar break a one, one bar, bar. <laughs> i mean well okay um left to my own devices a couple days on my end uh, and a couple days of mixing on a an in, a very intense high budget session on a major label. It, it's like twenty four hours of nonstop, and then twenty four to forty eight hours of of non nonstop mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are intense sessions. Well, I imagine, um, yeah, those are coming in the eleventh hour. We couldn't get clearance. This record needs to come out. You have to do this tomorrow. Uh, yeah, the uh, I did a a. a uh, a sample on Kanye's Yeezus and we did the set. The session was Monday and the record was on shelves. I think that's Saturday. Mm. So, I mean, it was an insane turnover. And then, I mean, I just had to play drums and then Ken Lewis had to recreate an entire gospel choir. So uh, I, I got off easy. <laughs> oh, re- recreate the choir and then mix the sample and then deliver it time to for the records to be on the shelves. And that week, so, High pressure, making me sweat just thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Again, that's why I end up with way too many drums. <laughs> way too many drums. Yeah, I mean, what do you do if you can't get the sound? I mean, if you don't have the concert toms, what do you do? Run to every store around? I mean, how do you? Yeah, or or just usually it's just okay. Rip all the bottom heads off of every time I have and start hitting mm-hmm. uh, and see where you get. You know, um, I mean it especially when I had less stuff, I mean, it is just shit. I don't know. Okay. Get rid of the bottom. Okay. All the, all the bottom hardware is rattling. Okay. Get it off or, you know, tape it up or whatever. Um, you know, it's the heads wrong. Okay. Different head, you know, you're throwing piles of heads and, and then the muffling's wrong and the turning's wrong. And now, uh, you know, the mic placement's wrong and the, you know, you're hitting it too hard. You're not hitting hard enough. You're, um, it's that times every single detail there is on. And, you know, and and it's always like when you hear the final project, like, it's just uh, you know, that's a big deal. Like, what are you bitching about? But I mean, to make it sound and feel just like that, it's so much work. I 
almost always these days with, with uh, some very notable exceptions, you know, clients say, Hey, you know, I just, I kind of want the vibe of this James Brown record, or I want the vibe of this Dua Leap record or this, you know, whatever to Coldplay. And having done so much of this stuff, that's easy. Like, Oh God, you just mm. need the vibe. Great. We can <laughs> get it to you in an hour. Um, <laughs> you know, and it sounds, well, okay, cool. Yeah. That sounds Coldplay-ish or Clyde Stubblefield-ish. Mm. Um, it's just when you want it exactly. <sighs> That's wild. So if you had to pick one kit and one snare to play for the rest of your life, what would it be? Let's say you don't have to go down the rabbit hole of, of recreating right. beans. You know what? I, I probably would have answered this differently 10 years ago than I would today. Um, Hurricane Irene hit in 2011. Was it 2011 or 2012? I forget. Anyhow, Hurricane Irene took up my, my old studio, which is in the basement of part of Hoboken, the part of town that was below sea level. And, uh, and the, uh, the sea reclaimed it mm-hmm. during Hurricane Irene. So I lost so much gear and, um, you know, stuff that was really, really precious to me back then. And, I, you know, it was insured and I got a check and was able to build this room and replace stuff. And I mean, a few things I could repair with a lot of work, but it really just like all the stuff that I thought was precious and I could never replace. I found other stuff that's great. So I don't really have an answer to that. I, you know, I, whatever, whatever I can afford and whatever's there and, you know, if I can hit it and it sounds good, I'll play it. I mean, there are, so that's sort of a half ass answer, but it, it's kind of true. I, I don't care. I mean, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you got, I, whatever, you know, if, if I lose everything and I have no money and I find a set of drums in the trash, I'll play those. That's fine. Or, you know, I mean, I, you see the guys on guys playing buckets and, and just scrap metal on the, on the streets of New York. And they're incredible. You know, these amazing grooves and they're doing stuff with just literally trash. And, um, so I, I think that's, I, I love that. I mean, I'm really into the craft of drums and drum making as well. Um, I, I think it's super cool. And I used to mess around with them myself. Um, and I've spent so much time with these instruments, you know, and I just, I think anyone making drums and, and going into the craftsmanship and the, the detail it takes to make a great drum, I'm all for it. Um, but uh, my, my friend, Tony from GMS, I was, he and I were talking about this uh, one time. I had played their drums since the early nineties. He was just saying, you know, I, I was saying, well, what about shelk or, you know, plies or how many, like, it's a drum. You hit it, you know, <laughs> sounds good. Like you play it. It doesn't <laughs> tune it. So it does. And if but that doesn't work, get a different drum. Uh, so that's kind of a lame answer and a non gear answer, but um, snare drums. I mean, actually that GMS maple is the super vintage. That's one, you know, a Ludwig Acrylite, mm. you know, really, what more do you need? Re- at the end of the day, you can, you can do almost anything with that. Um, my, uh, I'm, I'm from Indiana originally, and my great grandfather was a, a circus drummer. He played in the circus and vaudeville and was a songwriter back in the, the teens through about the, um, the early 50s. And I, I don't have any of his drums, but I have pictures of, of he and his band on, in, uh, on stage in Vincennes, Indiana. And uh, he's clearly playing a lady kit. So, mm. I, you know, like so it would have been the twenties lady when they were made in Indianapolis and they're the, the, the biggest brand in the world. So I have a couple, couple old twenties lady snare drums that uh, they weren't his, but you know, they're highly sentimental. So, mm. uh, you know, one of their uh, engraved, brass models which is pretty cool it doesn't sound incredible but you know it's just it's so beautiful that whatever <laughs> <laughs> so you know i'd play the acrylite keep the lady because it looks cool good answer i dig <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your all-time favorite recorded drum sounds let's see funky drummer break 100 percent um you know, for me, it's, it's a lot of the same. Everyone's touchstone. Well, not everyone's, but, you know, uh, 
Funky Drummer, When Lovey Breaks, um, you know, Levon sounds on on those early band records. I mean, they're so fat and so dry. Those are great sounds. Um, you know, Ringo stuff, absolutely love. Um, I was really into um, Hendrix when I was a kid. My parents had their records, you know, the, they bought them when they came out and, and I then proceeded to wear them out and scratch them up and put peanut butter on them as a kid. Um, <laughs> there's on access bold of love. There's a, there's a Tom hit somewhere. I just, it's the greatest sounding rack, Tom. I, I got to remember what track that was, but um, you know, it just, it's the perfect, it, it sounds like a 13 inch rack, Tom, just perfectly tuned. It's just go boom. It's huge. So that sound, that sound always stuck with me. Um, and then it's, it's not a one particular recorded sound, but there were three records that were really, really influential for me when they came out and, and still are, uh, late eighties, early nineties. It was, um, Tribe Called Quest, um, Low End Theory, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising, and then Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. And I mean, I can also spend the rest of my life dissecting those drum sounds you know, where they just sampled the funkiest stuff from the widest array of sources back when, I don't even know if you could make a record like that now, just because of the, the legal issues involved with clearing all those samples. But just hearing all of those drum breaks in one place on each of these three records, um, that was really influential for me. And that's, I, I think those three records probably more than anything guided are kind of still guiding what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, each one of those was sampled and then played on a, on an MPC and, and, you know, to create these, these songs, but just diving back into the source material for all those sounds. Um, it, it, it's kind of this, this um, never ending well of inspiration for me. Um, the only drag now is Spotify knows this and Spotify every single no matter what i listen to on spotify they always lead me back to some early 70s funk soul record which i love and you know stepping into tomorrow i i hear that record shows up in every single every time on spotify they okay now we just know you're gonna like this and i do but i know there's more music out there so um algorithms man yeah. <clears throat> wow so yeah that really did set the template then for what you've been doing for the past decade or more yeah it's crazy yeah um you know so during that time for the first when those records came out then i, I was in a band called johnny sacco that it was you know indie band toured around the country endlessly slept on a lot of concrete floors uh did a lot of shows and you know was trying to do those sounds but not not really having any idea how to get them um, and it was only moving out to, um, moving out to the East coast and, and starting to work with Ken and, and, you know, and, and then the internet suddenly became more of a source of information, being able to start to figure more, more of that stuff out. I mean, you know, I, I've been reading modern drummer magazines since I was a kid and kind of pouring over what everyone's saying, but it's one thing to see it in print. You know, I used a five by 14 superphonic. It's another thing to you know, actually get one and then tune it, you know, and find a, a vintage head, you know, like find a, a old head from 1969 that is in good shape, good enough shape to put it on and, and understand how that responds on the drum versus, you know, a modern pre-muffled thick head set up for, uh, for arena work. Mm. So, um, yeah. Is there, you mentioned the sly, the slide track you haven't yet do and you've mentioned that you're still chasing the funky drummer is there another classic break or sound that you've yet to tackle wow there's, there's a zillion, there's a zillion. <laughs> is there one that has been elusive um i mean you know the amen break is always a classic that ride symbol on the amen break um so the, the symbol that sounds the closest to me, uh, you know, I, I, I keep looking for the amen break, you know, basically for me is I want to find, you know, the perfect funky drum snare, the amen ride, uh, the hats, 
not really sure yet. They're, you know, just thin, thin, dark, crisp uh, with that kind of papery or that sort of buttery open sound as opposed to the hard sound. But yeah, that Amen ride. And the one, um, the one that I have that's the absolute closest um, when my, my son was maybe one or two, I was at a rehearsal in the city. I got a call from my wife. She said, Hey, I'm taking our son home in the stroller. It's raining. And so I can't stop. And I have nowhere to carry these, but somebody's throwing away symbols. They're in the trash. So I'm hiding them for you, you know, at this location. So, uh, so I ran over and found it. It was a cut, two cracked symbols, but one was a, it was a fifties, 18 inch, a like heavy band symbol or something. And I had, you know, a big keyhole in it, you know, and it's a symbol worth, 50 bucks on ebay if you can find a buyer mm-hmm. you know it's kind of ugly sounding but it it kind of has i mean it it sort of sounds like that amen ride mm-hmm. uh, so so when i when i'm going for that side kind of sound i'll use that maybe sometimes with a little sizzle on it or you know like a little rivet or a chain or whatever and um so but i don't have it exactly so you know trying to trying to find these these sounds that i can just for the rest of my life like pull this out. Oh my God, that's the funky drummer snare. And <laughs> I, again, it's, I don't know why I have these, these, these guiding principles. Cause I mean, the reality is most of my work is not doing that. It's, you know, somebody's got a song and they want drums that sound good. They don't, they don't <laughs> want a sample. They want new, new drums. So, you know, <laughs> I've have lots of other drums that, you know, just sound good as drums. <clears throat> Let's talk about cymbals. Yeah. I think it's an often, overlooked but crucial part of recording like how do you pick cymbals for session work versus gigging sure um i picked them as thin and dark as possible for starters Mm. um those you know the like the 80s and 90s sound of my one of my teachers growing up was kenny aronoff you know just Nobody hits it harder than Kenny, you know, like 19 inch rock crashes in the studio, you know, the Z power ride and, and all that stuff. And I mean, those symbols are so cutting and so, and they work brilliantly for Kenny. And, you know, if he's recording at a massive room and it's perfect, I'm recording in a room that's about 20 by 20 with nine foot ceilings. And man, do those sounds not work. They just take <laughs> over absolutely everything. So, um, and, and, Truth be told, I don't like hi-hats that cut through everything, for mm-hmm. example. I'm, I'm just, that is not a sound. Like, really bright crash cymbals, really bright pingy rides. It's just not a sound that I, it just kind of gets grating on my ear pretty quickly, uh, whether I'm playing them or somebody else. And, you know, you see somebody's iPhone recording of a show, and, like, the number one thing you hear is the hi-hat cutting through, you know, louder than the vocals, and uh i just don't like that sound because i'd rather hear the song <laughs> so yeah so um i've been with sabian since again the early 90s and the uh their their uh, complex thin line the uh the hhx complex I, those i've been looking for those symbols for you know since the early 90s mm-hmm. i mean i, I love that line <laughs> i have a whole bunch of them and um, I have more on order. So um, that for me kind of took care of, of what I've been looking for. I mean, I, I, I had a, a long stretch spent as a jazz drummer uh, back in the 80s and, and early 90s. So, you know, and back then everyone was trying to find the perfect, well, still are, the, you know, the perfect Turkish K. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually had a couple of them when, you know, in the 80s, you could find them, 80s and 90s you know, I'm getting for like 50 bucks at the pawn shop when nobody knew what they were. And, uh, and for whatever reason, I didn't keep them. I kind of wish I had, cause you know, those are now $2,000 symbols, but, um, so kind of in the back of my head, that's always what I want. That, that's a sound that's kind of imprinted in my head that I want that doesn't always necessarily work for, you know, louder stuff today, but that kind of vibe, um, or, or the, um, the Mel Lewis vibe, you know, this, you know, I'm still trying to find the perfect symbols for that. Basically like the Mel Lewis symbols for, um, for, um, singer songwriter gigs, 
Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, you know, the, the 19 inch crash ride and the 21 inch crash ride. And those are the only two symbols I need. So I'm getting closer. I, I, I still just need that left side crash ride. Um, I'll find it eventually. But uh, yeah, but like I was saying too, here, a lot of the times I really am just overdubbing crash symbols. So it's, um, and in, and in that situation, some of the, the, the thicker stuff works better. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, you know, like um, I have some older kind of heavier crash symbols that really have, you know, they have this incredible roar and it's great if that's the only thing you're recording and you can get this amazing sound and hit it as hard as you want. And then, you know, pull the track completely down if it's, if it's obnoxious. Um, but aside from that, you know, like those heavier symbols, if, if I'm trying to hit them lightly to not overpower the track, they sound awful. You know mm, what I mean? Right. They just don't, you got to hit them hard to actually get them moving. And, and then they take over the entire, the entire sound, you know, like the hall mics. If I, if I play my cymbals really lightly and sometimes um, lighter than I even think I should, there's still plenty pleasant present out there, um, you know, and they're picked up everywhere. So um yeah, that's kind of just trying to find those those dark light symbols that really respond to barely tapping them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I can hit the drums hard and then just kind of lightly tap the symbols and they they make that sound and and then but without overpowering everything else. Are you combining two hi hat tops or are you using like a stock pair? Um, depends on the track. Everything depends on the track. Um, I use um, I use a lot of stock stock stuff the um uh sabians those uh artisan light hats the the 15 inch hats are gorgeous and those are the hats that i just are in my symbol bag for live shows when Mm. when uh you know live shows um i used to play you know before covid i was playing two to four nights every single week and now i barely touch that stuff Mm. and um trying to figure out if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Do you want to go back out? Yeah. that's the question I asked myself. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, I mean, so my, my son's 11 and, um, his entire life I was gone every single weekend. I mean, every single weekend, I'm not gone. You know, I, I stopped touring when he was born, but you know, playing shows in the, in the tri-state area. Um, and, um, you know, COVID hit and like, it's like I'm home on, you know, let's watch every Marvel movie, you know, <laughs> one every Saturday. And I guess it's kind of fun. And I, you know, he kind of likes it and I kind of like it and, and whatever. But, um, but then, you know, I play a show with other live living human beings making music at the same time. Like, this is cool. This is <laughs> more of this too. So what the answer is. <laughs> what about stick selection? Uh, do you know out on that or is it just use your five A's or whatever? Uh, I, I was searching for that stick forever. And now um, I, I, so basically uh, I, I play innovative percussion and I, um, I first got their five, their vintage five AB. I'm like, Oh my God, this is the perfect stick for me forever. I mean, it's, I can, it does everything I want. Absolutely. It's the right size, the right line, blah, blah, blah. And then I, that's all I use. And then I tried their LAX studio stick. I'm like, Oh my God, this is the perfect stick. And it does everything for me, you know? So I'll use that pair and, and pairs last me forever. Cause I, you know, I'm just not playing that hard. And they eventually after several months, I like kind of worn a little too thin. Okay. New pair. And, but then, so then I go back and pick up the five B and like, Oh, this is the perfect stick. No, no. It's, so that's kind of where I'm stuck. Um, it's uh yeah. So, you know, it's the five AB. I guess it's the five AB for me for, from innovative. That's a great stick. Um, on the sample recreation side, however, um, you know, trying to get, let's say, and this actually did come up recently, the, um, the MN break, you know, trying to get that ride sun. So, you know, I'd take four different ride symbols that I thought were pretty close, put it up AB with the track and then my symbol. And then I'd have 20 different sticks just lined up on a, on a music stand, one after the other. So I can, and, and you know, all different, every different kind of stick I can think of. And, um, you know, and just, okay, 
you know, symbol one, stick one, symbol two, stick 19, you know, and just go through and there I have done, it's whatever that comment, you know, like 80 <laughs> symbol hits. I mean, it's insane. It's really insane. But you know, at the end of the day, you get the, it's like, yeah, the weird seven, a bamboo stick on the 18 inch symbol from the trash. That sounds good. <laughs> You know, and okay, well, which, so, you know, all right, now we had test sizzles and then, you know, which mic captures the right frequency and, you know, uh, and it's all to just go ding, ding, ta, 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 ta. and, and, you know, and okay, there's our, there's our sample or one measure of, you know, 1.2 seconds worth of music. <sighs> Man, will you go into great detail into the, um, funky drummer break on your website what is the what is the website again the website is creating the sound.com yeah um so you know i've been doing this for on and off for 15 years and it's i don't do it that often but when i do it it you know usually there's a big budget involved and usually it becomes a, a big record uh and it's a big deal in my life so you know i've developed all these just strategies to deal with these things when they when they show up so you know, I, I might as well teach it. It's, it's not, you know, none of it's, there are no secrets. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, you hit things with sticks till it sounds right and, you know, mm-hmm. tweak some variables. So, um, so my production partner, Cooper Anderson, he and I actually came up through uh, with, with Ken Lewis. So uh, we met back in the early or mid 2000s and um, uh, Cooper was Ken's assistant at the time when I was doing a bunch of session work for him. And um, Cooper now has the, uh, he has the studio down the hall for me. So, you know, he and I were talking about this. Well, let's, you know, let's, we'll teach it. And, you know, we'll throw up cam- a couple cameras and, you know, show the thing and, and offer a course. And I mean, it took, we were filming my drum course for two weeks. Just the, I, I mean, I, and part of that's okay. You know, lighting's not right. We got to, you know, kind of the, the, film production stuff but it was i mean it was seriously two weeks of just by my assistant steven and i in here like okay let's go through you know five different snare drums and see which one sounds closest um and then and then i went i took the raw tracks over to cooper's place and um you know he would mix them while we were filming and i think we probably had 24 hours in mixing easily and, um, you know, but our, our goal was to actually just document, here's what this process is. Uh, and the videos are definitely not for everyone. I mean, <laughs> they're probably for very, very few people. You got to really be into this stuff and really want to nerd out. Cause I mean, it's, it's like six hours worth of, of condensed. Okay. Here's every single step of the way and every sound to get from, you know, this empty room to our funky drummer recreation, which I think is pretty close. You know, both of us now think, gosh, yeah, we, uh, here's what I would change. You know, if we do this again, I'll do this and that differently. Uh, but that's always going to happen. So, um, but um, yeah. So if anybody is insane enough to want to learn how to do this stuff, we'll teach you. <laughs> You have a few free ones on there too. I'm trying. Oh, there's to a bunch them. of free ones. Yeah, yeah. Most, most of our stuff is free. You know, the ones <clears throat> we're spending two weeks filming my part and 24 hours mixing his part, we have to charge. But you know, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, just this week on YouTube, we did uh, we recreated the um, uh, Aaron Comas, the uh, Spin Doctors, <laughs> Two Princes sound, and uh, you know, got pretty close. And um, you know, like. Steve Jordan vultures. And I mean, you know, we, we definitely nerd out on, on this stuff. So, I mean, I'll, I'll show how I'm, here's the drum I'm using and, and my nerdy details. And then Cooper will show how he's mixing it, uh, basically taking my raw tracks. And I mean, one of the, one of the things that, as we were talking earlier, you know, I, I'm engineering the stuff, mixing it, sending it out to the world. I don't know what happens to it. And so, part of what I wanted to do with Cooper was just show me what happens. I mean, how do you get, you know, from my raw drum tracks to the finished mix that's on the record, what are the steps? And, um, so Cooper has been, you know, into, yeah, okay, sure. Here's what we do. You know, you gotta do all these different things and it's different for every track because it all depends on what the sound you're going for is. Um, 
but um, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot from it. One of the things I'm learning too, is I need my monitoring situation needs to get better. Cause you know, every I'm like most other drummers, you know, trying to learn how to engineer by myself in my own room and, um, and setting up the space. So you actually are getting accurate information from your, your monitors and you actually know what, you know, what your low end's doing, what the mid range is doing, all that stuff um, really counts for a lot. So I was actually just reviewing a, a rough mix I sent yesterday to a client. I'm like, oh, I was listening at home on headphones. Like, oh man, my, my mix did not translate how it felt, you know, mm. on my speakers, which is right there and the subwoofer in this room. Yeah, like, oh man, this sounds awesome. Pulling up on home, like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome as i thought it sounded so <laughs> i love it it's, it never ends <laughs> well i'm looking at your site now it's creating the sound.com anyone listening that wants to get the free stuff there is drum recording for beginners there is acoustic treatment shootout there is a studio acoustic overhaul there is how to play the funky drummer i mean there's a lot there's Make, a lot there they, uh, yeah. beat making with the ipad mixing live drums in james brown style lynn collins style uh, 60s soul, 70s Philly soul. So there's a lot of free stuff there. So go check it yes. out. Um, there's a bunch I, of the, more of that on our YouTube page as well. So. And what is it creating the sound on YouTube as well? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet, dude. I mean, we, um, oh, last question. What was your first snare drum? My first snare drum. Uh, it was um, uh, my parents. Let's see. I, I um, My first snare drum were pots and pans as a baby with wooden spoons in the kitchen. Um, but my first actual drum was, um, I, I actually, my parents were friends with Kenny Aronoff and I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, my parents met when I was in, I think sixth grade and I just started school band on, on the drums playing, you know, snare drum and school band. And I wanted to get into drum set. Kenny said, yeah, you gotta get, you know, you gotta get your kid a drum set. So we went to Smith Holden music in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, and they bought a, uh, it was a 60s set. It was, I think, in retrospect, probably a Pearl set, uh, you know, 12, 14, 20 with a, I think it was a six lug wooden snare. I had no idea at the time. All I know, I'm almost sure it was six lug now because I could never get it to be anything but really low and ratty. And, and basically, I wanted to uh, have the big early 80s um, heavy metal sounds that I was hearing on the radio and, and I wasn't, I couldn't get them from my, from my little kid. The, so the uh, Rick Allen pyromedia sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, precisely. I, I don't know if you saw, but that kit is just, was just for sale on reverb. Oh, it might no. still be there. Uh, you know, you know, the one it was the kind of like Chrome finish. Oh yeah. The, the power toms. Yeah. That, that exact kit is uh, 20 grand. Does it come with the Union Jack shorts? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna save my allowance. See where you know, I to find some loose change in the sofa. And pick up the. I, mean, I, I saw that kit a zillion times. You know, with the, the Ludwig ad, the full page ad with all the smoke and lights, and like, oh my god, that's you know. So my little, my little jazz set. I, I ended up stripping it. It was. um I think it was red pearl that had been spray painted black when I got it. And then I stripped it down to natural wood and stained it when I um, went into more of a jazz direction. And uh, I used that kit up until college. And um, yeah, so the, that was, that snare drum was, was unremarkable, but the kit itself was, it was kind of cool. It, it had a vibe and, and uh, Smith Holden music. I, I ended up teaching there. Um, Sean Pelton was teaching there for a little while um another one of my teachers eric deggins who is not um i don't think he's well known in the drum world but he's npr's uh media chief media critic and is all over the world on tv usually every day uh but he was a great great drummer and i got really into his his sound and and, and uh he's also a left-handed drummer i'm left-handed as well although he went full lefty which i can't do because i'm left-handed but right-footed um Anyhow, yeah, Smithfield Music. It's now it's uh, high end luxury apartments in downtown Bloomington, but <laughs> it was a great place. That's <laughs> the progression from that's art progression. to non. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think this room is slated to become uh, to be knocked down and turned into high rise luxury condominiums too soon. So yikes! Well, yeah, hopefully and, uh, not too soon. 
well, I think I'll be given a new space, but I'm gonna have to build a proper room. And uh, I've been I've been geeking out on uh, studio acoustics and uh, soundproofing techniques lately. <laughs> so that's gonna be a big part of my future. Get a whole lot more expensive than a couple of little you know well, snare drums. You can move to Pittsburgh and have acres of land. Come on over. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, I don't go to attended sessions anymore. <laughs> my clients couldn't kill us where I am. Might have a tough sell with my family, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Thank you for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. And I've of got course, man. Research back through. So, lot to dig into. Thank you. Uh, of course. Great to talk to you. All right, there you have it. That's it for this week's episode with Dylan Wissing. Again, go to DylanWissing.com. That is D-Y-L-A-N-W-I-S-S-I-N-G.com. Check out what he's got there. He's got some some free tutorials there on recording and um, how to get different sounds, some mixing, all stuff for free. You can also subscribe to his Getting the Sound uh, website, all on DylanWissing.com. Thank you for listening. Please give us a review over on iTunes. Five-star rating would be much appreciated. And we will see you next week.